This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, a show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you uh, today on this 27th day of March, 2021, and what is now our 48th consecutive program dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. On today's show, I want to spend some time talking about the variants. That's what everybody's been talking about the variants, how dangerous they are, do the vaccines work. So we're going to spend a block of time talking about it. And then in the second half of our program, we're going to bring on our guest, who is Dr. Michael Rajkumar. Dr. Rajkumar is an infectious disease specialist who has been a frequent guest on our program, always a great resource for information, because we really have to figure out how these variants are affecting all of us. The statistics continue to hang over us. We now have over 543,000 Americans dead from the COVID-19 virus. And now we have now administered over 130 million, 130.5 million total doses of vaccine. So we have a tremendous effort going on in this country to vaccinate all Americans. And in the last two days, we've had two days in a row where over 3 million vaccinations have been administered. So this is a tremendous effort. And we have to keep this ball rolling if we're going to get out of this mess. Also, here in Connecticut, on Thursday, vaccine eligibility will be extended to all those age 16 and older. That is going to be a tremendous effort to get out and vaccinate this many people. But there was a recent article published and a discussion about the approaches to vaccinating people. And specifically, the way we've done it in Connecticut, going out slower in groups, making sure you got right. Remember, the top group was 75 and older. We got a significant portion of those folks vaccinated. I believe it's well over 70 percent now. Then we dropped it to 65, then 45. And now we're able to open it up. When we compare states that did that, as opposed to states that said, let's just open up all the doors, we've found that the states doing it in a slower, judicious manner did better. And the reason was because of the frustration on the part of people trying to get an appointment. People were so frustrated that they couldn't get an appointment that they'd give up. Right. These computer systems all crashed when everybody tried to make an appointment. So with that, we've handled that right. But um, the next month or so is going to be hectic in trying to administer this many vaccines. But let's talk a little bit about 
the variants so people understand what they are. We've talked a lot about the virus and mutation. Mutation is a change in genetic structure, not just in viruses, but in any cell. But when those mutations reach a point where they could change the behavior of a virus, we now call it a variant. So it's not just a change, it's a significant change in how that virus behaves. And now we have a variety of these because we've let this virus flourish. We didn't shut it down early. We didn't get on top of it early. And now we're dealing with these variants. Now, the coronavirus mutates less than the flu, okay? But it still mutates quite a bit. And the way you assess a variant is to figure out, is this newer new and improved virus that we're dealing with more contagious? Is it more deadly? And does it interfere with our vaccines and treatment? So in the case of the UK variant, and we're going to talk more with Dr. Raj Kumar about this one, but in the UK variant, we know that it is more contagious. We know that it's more deadly. And we are still trying to figure out if it interferes with vaccines and treatments. As far as the vaccines we now have available, it appears that the UK variant is sensitive to all the vaccines that are available now. So that's key, that we're still able to control this variant. But as I often use in the analogy on this program, we play offense and defense, right? And with defense, we've talked about, right, masks, hand washing, social distancing, right? Also, isolation, identification, contact tracing. So we've finally gotten up to the point where we're doing working on identification, right? What we did was we wanted to identify where the virus is, where is your enemy, and how do you attack that enemy? That was the purpose of identification, right? Once you identify it, isolate it, and trace it back to see who else may be spreading the virus. But one thing we have not done a good job of is when we identify the virus, have we looked at the mutations? So it's like finding an enemy, and now you've got to find out what weapons they have. Right. What kind of weapon in that virus are you coming up against? And. We're just starting to do that here in the United States, actually. In the United Kingdom, in England, they have done a great job of this. They started this from the beginning, and that's why they were able to identify their variant there. So you not only need to test the virus, but you need to test the genes of the virus. And honestly, from what I hear, and again, we're going to ask our expert later, it's not that hard because genes are basically fingerprints. Right? They are the fingerprints of a virus. So what you have to do then is the harder part is 
you've identified that fingerprint, are you seeing that fingerprint at the site of a crime? That being a new outbreak, a new surge in virus. So we have seen this surge in the UK. We are seeing this surge here in the United States. But we, as long as we are not playing optimal defense, it continues to mutate. This is not the time for us to be laying back. Okay, what we have done is now we're starting to open up more, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but there are people that take it to the extreme, right? Lately, the, the big one is the spring breakers, right? Everybody's running around Florida with no masks. And in doing so, we are allowing this virus to mutate. We, we may have the Florida variant soon, okay? But that is the issue is we need to keep our guard up as much as we can right now in order to move forward. So as far as testing, our questions are, are we identifying the virus? And more importantly, identifying the genetic structure of the virus as it infects more people here in the United States. And we're starting to see those numbers go up again, which is not a good thing, especially now when weather's getting warmer, we don't expect to see those numbers go up. And we also must bear in mind that the more variants we see, the longer we're going to be fighting this battle, the longer we're going to need booster shots, the longer we're going to be around this virus. So the bottom line is we need to get on top of identifying the virus, but as a group, we need to not let our guard down. It's so important that we still wear masks in closed public areas in order to stop these variants. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to get back to a topic we've been discussing on this program, which is the declining life expectancy in the United States. What are the factors affecting it? How has this really played a big role in our health care system? You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And one topic we've been following and discussing um, on the air has been the declining life expectancy in the United States and how disproportionate that is to what we spend in the United States. We outspend the rest of the world by orders of magnitude on health care. And typically, we try to compare ourselves to countries that are similar to ours, many European countries, uh, Japan. Uh, and where we have good data, we have tracked the fact that we don't live as long as people in other countries where they spend less money on health care. The example being Japan. Japan, average life expectancy is age 84. 
in the United States, the average life expectancy is 78 years. But an alarming article came to my attention this week and a subsequent discussion of the declining life expectancy in the United States. And what we're seeing is high and rising mortality rates among adults. Now, what we have to understand is the difference between a mortality rate and life expectancy. They work in opposite directions, right? A mortality rate is the how likely you are to die, whereas longevity is how long you're likely to live. So we'll talk about longevity. If you look at a comparison between the United States and our peer countries, let's say from the 1950s to the 1980s, when we're looking at that data, our life expectancy was similar to those other countries. Um, we uh, kept up with them and, and moved along in parallel with them in terms of improving the life expectancy of people in this country. But in the 90s, when you look at the data, it starts to slow. Our numbers started to slow as compared to theirs, meaning that we were still moving in the right direction. People were still living longer in the United States but we were not keeping up with the longevity of our peer countries. In 2020, when we look at the data, the most recent data, the United States life expectancy has declined while our peer nations have continued to increase. And that is a significant trend. That's a problem. When you hone in on the problem itself, and I know many people are saying, well, we had COVID. All the data I'm talking about is pre-COVID. So our numbers were going backwards. Our life expectancy has gone backwards before COVID. Also, in that period of time, we continued to outspend the rest of the world. So any logical person, you, this again, this transcends politics, religion, anything else. Any logical person would know this is a problem. When you hone in on the problem a little bit more and we try to focus on it, it's really in the ages of age 25 to 64 where we're having the most difficult time. This is the group that is now dying relatively young. And there are three factors that have played into this. The first being drugs and alcohol. The second factor, suicide. And the third are cardiometabolic diseases. So let's look at the drug and alcohol problem. We really started having a problem with this in the 80s and 90s more than any other time because we had people taking prescription opiates. They got addicted and then went on to heroin. Once we got into heroin mixed with fentanyl, okay, this 
became a much more deadly problem. Alcohol's always been a problem in our country, but it has worsened. It has worsened for a lot of reasons, many of them socioeconomic. These life ex this shortened life expectancy is not just in socioeconomically challenged populations. It's across the board. So this has really nothing to do with the color of your skin in terms of these numbers. They're going down for everyone. Are they going down more for people who do not have access to health care? The answer is yes. The second factor is suicide. Why are more people committing suicide? And we have seen this. We hear this all the time. It affects so many families. We are trying to put things in place. Who ever heard of a, having a suicide hotline? Why are we becoming more desperate? Well, when the article, when the publication looked at that, I mean, it's kind of clear to us now that we have a lack of community. And with that lack of community, we also lose social support. We have fewer job opportunities. So the economy has played a role in this. The next factor are cardiometabolic effects. If I were to summarize that, it has to be food. We're not eating right. Now, obesity is a big factor here, okay, because we see diabetes and other factors with that. And what's interesting is from a cardiac standpoint, we have done better, right? We now have stents. We have angiograms. So we've done better in terms of controlling cardiac disease, but all the metabolic effects, the higher lipids that lead to stroke and other metabolic problems, we've not gotten a good grip on. So how do we solve the problem? I don't like problems without solutions. The solutions are clear. We need to rebuild the healthcare delivery system in this country. Because so many of these things are when people are desperate, right? They've reached the point of desperation without getting mental health support that they commit suicide. So from a mental health standpoint, we need to invest in the infrastructure. We also need to get a grip on how we feed our young children and how we feed young people if we're going to plan for the future and increase our life expectancy. One promising article said that uh, we think smoking, right, smoking could disappear in the next 20 years here in the United States, Europe, Australia, and, and some South American countries because we're finally getting a grip on that. It's suddenly, it's not the cool thing to do. And that's certainly adding to the problem. So there are solutions. We just need to redirect all the money. We don't need more money. We've been spending a lot of money, but we need to redirect that if we're going to live longer in this country. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Michael Rajkumar. He's an infectious disease specialist at Hartford HealthCare and part of Bacchus Hospital, and he's been on the front line throughout this pandemic and a frequent guest of ours. We're going to be talking about these variants in the COVID-19 pandemic and how we're going to get control of them. 
You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And if you wish to get in touch with me during the week with questions, uh, the email is info at alessimd.com. I'm happy to uh, listen to your uh, questions and uh, get back to you. And uh, possibly, if it's something I can't answer, we'll uh, consult with an expert. One of those experts is our next guest, Dr. Michael Rajkumar. He is an infectious disease specialist at Hartford HealthCare at Bacchus Hospital. He has been on the front line throughout this pandemic, working in the ICU, working in the hospital as an infectious disease specialist. And he's fortunately been always available to us for information. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tony. So, Mike, the thing we're hearing about all the time now are variants. Can you explain to our listeners, I kind of gave a brief outline, but can you give a more specific idea of why this is such an area of concern for us right now in fighting the COVID-19 pandemic? So the variants are basically uh, viruses that have accumulated certain mutations. Um, Almost all organisms do mutate. Uh, When there is more replication, uh, there is a a propensity for these type of uh, mutation. Mutations are basically the gene block where uh, there are some amino acids that either get deleted or substituted that ends up creating the next generation of the the virus, in this case, the RNA virus, which is the SARS-CoV-2, that these viruses do have a group of mutations that were not before present. And these mutations, um, you know, most of the times uh, can be actually deleterious to the virus itself, but in other cases, it can give some advantage for the virus. In this particular case, uh, the mutations that occur in the SARS-CoV-2 have uh, noticeably have shown ability to be able to be transmitted uh, more easily or sometimes causing more severe illnesses and maybe a little bit extra mortality and that sort of a thing. So that is why it is important uh, that we keep an eye on this variant, how they are being spread, and how we can mitigate that. I I think there's a lot of confusion on these variants. I guess the one that uh, is most common now, I guess, is the U.K. variant. And and I understand the numbers like about 30% of all new cases in the U.S. are of this variation. Is that true? So the UK variant um, is uh, got a group of uh, 23 different mutations that was early, uh, you know, late last year uh, noted in UK. And what it showed is this highly transmissible virus and maybe also may have caused a little extra mortality compared to the prior one. Now, um, it is now uh, spread across, you know, several countries in the world. And in our country, 51 states, all 51 states do have this variant present. Now, um, the numbers, when we look at it, the last time I looked, the CDC number, uh, the UK variant uh, is uh, about 8,000 plus. And in our state, 
Um, it is about 283 cases, which is about 3.2%. Um, so, yes, it is spreading across the country. And this is not the only strain, of course. You know, it's not the only variant. So when you look at this particular variant, the important thing is that it is seemingly highly transmissible. It could be anywhere from 40 to 80% more transmissible than the previously known, you know, uh, uh, the SARS-CoV virus that was transmitting across the world. Well, so we know it's more contagious. We know it's slightly more deadly. But does it respond? Are we safe from it if we have been given one of the three approved vaccines? Absolutely. So almost every study that has been looked at show that the vaccine uh, does uh, have good effect on it. There's not an awful lot of uh, what we call um, the neutralization of, you know, activity. It doesn't seem to be that much. Uh, even with uh, natural immunity from uh, prior infection, okay, when they do studies in the lab, it, it was a factor of like probably 1.5% uh, extra or less you know, effect. But overall, the vaccine uh, should have very good effect against this virus. Um, well, let's move to a new variant and one that I think that has gained a lot of concern for us. And that's what's going on in Brazil. Uh, in Brazil, we have seen very little restriction on activity. Uh, they have a political leader who does not believe in mass and in fact goes out and has people take off their masks. So we're seeing a crisis there. Um, their hospitals are filled. People are dying from this variant and not able to get other care. This is a disaster by any means. But the problem is that they have created a variant that is also in this country. Am I correct? Yes, but it is not spreading as bad as the uh, one like the UK variant. Uh, as of now, uh, from what we know, in our state, we have had only one case of the, the Brazilian variant, which is called the P1. Um, so what you said is true, that this particular uh, variant is not protected by pre previous uh, immunity, because um, in uh, certain parts of uh, the Amazon, 75% uh, or more of people had already been infected with the prior strain. And in December, they had a surge. And the sequencing data said that at least 40 plus percent of them are P1 strain. So obviously, their prior exposure to COVID, uh, you know, infection did not protect them. And that is, I mean, the natural, uh, you know, infection from the past. Uh, however, I think... Um, the preliminary uh, studies with the vaccine uh, show, again, there may be some uh, lowering of the vaccine effect, but not too much. Like I, I read a study where it said 6.57% for the Pfizer vaccine and 4.5% uh, for the Moderna vaccine that is uh, lowering by a factor of 6.7% or 4.5%. Um, for the respective vaccine. So it is not a, a, a you know, significant uh, uh, number. So if you are vaccinated, I think you will still be 
protected. As you know, even with the other variant, when you say 95% chance, uh, you know, protection, you still have a 5%, you know. So similarly with this variant, if you were to, uh, there is a small percentage who will uh, get the infection. But my, you know, we all believe that even if that was the case, uh, your reinfection and leading the symptoms are going to be very uh, less intense compared, you know, in other words, you're not going to get the uh, critical or severe infection with COVID, you end up in the ICU and that sort of a thing. Mike, so we have these variants, like the UK variant, for example, is it because the UK was looking at this a lot closer than we were? I mean, these variants uh, require a lot of testing, right? I mean, in terms of the genomic testing, are we doing enough of it? Um, okay, to start with the UK, I think it was also, I mean, everybody was trying to do genomic studies and and they all get presented to the uh, global site called GSII. But the thing is, I think uh, they found a certain uh, aberrancy in their testing. That's what led to them finding it. What happened is there was a drop-off in the, so the PCR test doesn't look at one some tests, but most tests look more than one target. And the spike target was dropping off in their tests. Then they started looking at those things and they found that these uh, mutations in the spike protein, that is why the drop-off was there. That's how they ended up finding that. Then we started looking at the same thing. So my understanding is we have now done well over 25,000 genomic studies uh, and uh, the uh, CDC and the national, uh, you know, everybody has uh, collaborated with not only like private labs, universities, and other places. I understand that's about 160 different uh, institutions or labs are involved in the genomic surveillance now. Um, so they are doing. So, for instance, for instance, now since about December uh, or January, our own uh, Department of Health had been asking all the various labs, uh, the people to send them samples, like random samples, you know, so that they can do the genomic studies. So our hospital, our Hartford Healthcare, uh, our main lab from New England was supposed to send, I mean, they were sending about 10 samples. That's what they were asked for, 10 samples per week, which goes there and then gets studied. So the good thing I want to tell you is, I was talking to the uh, lab, uh, one of the lab supervisors uh, earlier uh, the week, and what is happening now is we have so few positive cases, they are not even able to send 10 in a week. They are trying to send 10 in two weeks. So on one hand, the positivity rate is really low, and so the number of um, testing being done for genomic testing may uh, drop off a little bit, but again, I'm talking about Connecticut, but there are other states where you may get this uh, more number of uh, uh, isolates sent to the uh, CDC. But at the end of the day, we are doing a genomic surveillance. Um, as I said, more than 25,000 cases have been already done. And that is what led to uh, then labeling these uh, ones as uh, variants of interest versus variants of concern by CDC in the past uh, couple of weeks. I want to continue that, but we're going to take a short break, uh, and then we're going to get back with my guest, Dr. Michael Rajkumar. We're talking about the variants in the COVID-19 
uh, pandemic and the vex and the various viruses we're seeing from different parts of the world. When we're back, we're going to talk about the travel implications. And we haven't talked about the South African variant yet. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and we're chatting today with uh, Dr. Michael Rajkumar, who is an infectious disease specialist, and we've been talking about the variants and how much of a threat they posed. And, Mike, one of the variants we didn't talk about was uh, the one from South Africa that I understand we have identified here in the United States. I know it's been identified in Europe. Uh, How much of a threat is that? So the South African variant, which is called the uh, the 351, uh, that is of course um, was noted in towards the end of 2020 to become the most predominant strain there. Um, so it is here, and the last time I looked, as of March 25, there are 266 cases and 29 states have reported that. In Connecticut, we have about seven cases so far. So um, we do have it. It is, um, you know, spreading. And um, the issues with that is, again, uh, the, the they have a slightly different mutation. And they do have some mutations that are common with the UK variant. But they do have uh, a different set of uh, variants, which is what makes people think that it may be able to evade the immune response from both uh, naturally acquired immunity as well as the vaccine-related immunity. Um, So because of that, there is a a bit of a concern. Um, But the good thing is some of the uh, vaccine trials that were done, we have to understand the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine trials were done in 2020, way before these variants became a concern. And the Janssen uh, vaccine was done much later, and they closed their uh, study in January 22nd. So they had, when the peak of these variants were in South Africa, so up to, I think, 80% or so of their sequencing data was this uh, 351. So when you look at that, those vaccine um, data uh, were pretty robust. Uh, you know, again, when you since you had this 95 percent with uh, Pfizer and Moderna, everybody thinks your vaccine should be 100 percent. No, most vaccines are never 100 percent. And if you look at the influenza vaccine, it is at best can be 50, 60 percent. So the numbers that we got from the Janssen study is it's up to upwards of 66 percent in uh, uh, South Africa, where 94% of the sequencing that they did were all the same uh, variant. So, yes, this variant is here, and it may have little lowering of the natural immunity. But if you were to be vaccinated, there seems to be, um, you know, not a terrible loss of vaccine response, even with the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine. Um, the data is like, um, you know, like 1.6 to 8.6 factors by, you know, decrease the factor of, you know, up to 8.6 or something like that. It's not like uh, terrible. Mike, how are we going to get out of this mess? I mean, as we think of variants, the only way I think of something from Brazil 
getting here or something from South Africa getting here is by travel, right? I mean, people and, and we now that we have these variants, we have started to increase travel. Um, is that our biggest obstacle now in terms of how we avoid this? Should we be cutting back on international travel? So on one hand, um, when you look at these mutations occurring, uh, I mean, the viral replication mutation started to happen in different places. Like, for instance, some of the mutation that we see in the South African variant and the uh, Brazilian variant are common. Same thing. They all have common one uh, mutation with the UK variant. So I think they're independently developing mutations across the globe, you know. So now there are reports of some coming in India. So it's a natural uh, progression of viral infection. Uh, they they start to mutate. They start to form. Of course, if you have crazy travel, then you could bring one. And, you know, of course, we know that in the early phase, the Europe from Europe, it came to the U.S. So we know that we can bring. But when you're looking at the variant, I think they're also happening independently. The same case with uh, New York and uh, California. Independently, we have homegrown mutations occurring. So, yes, on one hand, uh, travel can uh, potentially, you know, uh, crisscross these mutation mutant viruses to different parts of the globe. Um, I'm not sure you should completely stop travel. Uh, I think continuing to, uh, you know, vaccinate people and then having to continue, you know, continuing the similar you know, uh, mitigation uh, uh, measures like uh, wearing the mask and washing and social distancing, you know, the, the, I think that that certainly have to continue. Mike, in closing, how are we going to get out of this mess? I mean, really, in terms of the long range, I'm starting to think we're going to be dealing with this for many years to some degree, not to the degree we're dealing with it now. But um, how are we ever going to get out of this uh, whole mess with this coronavirus is that you know you should say i don't know Tony. it is it is something you know we have to keep thinking of of course none of us know what the future holds but the point is uh with the robust vaccination program now the important thing is yes having vaccination in the united states in our country is great but at the same time we have to look at it globally because if you don't vaccinate globally, then the variants from other parts of the world can come to our country because we're going to continue to have some travel going on. So it is highly important that, you know, as a global community that, uh, you know, in conjunction with WHO and, you know, getting the vaccine uh, to every part of the world and getting more people vaccinated, I think that is the most important thing because if we were to get to that herd immunity type of, you know, situation where, you know, close to 70, 80 percent of the global population is uh, vaccinated, then there is going to be less ability for the virus to replicate and uh, mutate and continue to spread. But if um, that, again, it depends on how long it is going to take for us to reach that point. When we reach that point, I think there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. But until then, I think the continued uh, measure that everybody has been talking about that is, you know, wear your mask, uh, you know, in public places and 
wash your hands frequently, don't touch your nose and face and, you know, after touching anything and uh, continue to socially distance. And, and more importantly, when your turn comes, get vaccinated because I think we have millions of doses of vaccines been given already to, uh, you know, our uh, uh, American population mm. and across the world. And the number of adverse reactions are nowhere close to anything of concern. And we, we have very little any to, to be worried about with these vaccines. Yep. So when your turn comes, get the vaccine. Mike, thank you. Thank you uh, very much for everything you do, and especially for staying on the front lines throughout this and sharing your knowledge with us. Thanks. Thank you, Tony. Take care, buddy. Um, Many thanks to our studio producer. Joey Burgoyne's been on the board today. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Um, Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be using best ofs because I'm going to be out vaccinating. Um, I'm going to be working with the Medical Reserve Corps, on Saturdays to try and get as many young people vaccinated since we're going to ages 16 and above. Um, So we will take some of our best programs and make them available to you. I also want to wish everybody happy holidays, uh, Passover today and Easter next Sunday. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.